Here's another inspiring message from Northside Community Church, Sydney. This is, um, the way I see preaching is that this is a moment that we get um, to come together as a group of people under God's word and hear what he has to say to us, and that includes me. I might be the one that's saying some words up here and that God is speaking through, but I'm hearing this just as much as you are. This is a moment that we get to collectively listen to God and put our eyes to him and tune our ear to his voice um, and hear what it is that he has to say to us. So I hope that we can lean in together um, to hear what he might have to say this morning. Um, I was, it, it's really cool for me to be back here. It's been, uh, we came back for the Christmas Eve service at the end of last year, but apart from that, I haven't been here um, in kind of three and a half years. So it's really special for me to be here, particularly to be up here getting to, um, to preach again. It's very, very special. And, and kind of in preparation for coming today, I was thinking back to when I first came to Northside, which was 2015. I was working in marketing at the time, as I said earlier. And um, I was sitting over here, maybe like the fourth row, brat, row back, and I was absolutely fuming with God. This is before I was on the ministry team. I was attending maybe a year before I came on staff. And I was sitting over here. I, was, I had my arms, it was during worship, I had my arms folded. I had tears streaming down my face. And I was just giving God the coldest shoulder I possibly could. I had a stony, I had it all going on, stony face. I was so mad, absolutely fuming. And, and what had happened was that I had started attending Northside very recently. Um, and for the previous five and a half years, I'd been working, I'd been studying to get my Master of Divinity at Bible College because I felt that God had called me into ministry. Hi. And I'm sorry, I'm going to do this the whole time probably. And um, I felt that God had called me into ministry. And I thought, you know what, I think this is a church that I could really like to work to work in. And, um, and I'd had a conversation with Sam at some point, um, and my understanding from that conversation was that at that point in time, they weren't looking to appoint anybody onto staff, which was true. And, um, and I was so angry, <laughs> not with Sam, but with God, because I felt that God was, I had come to believe God is my provider, and God is my guide, and here I am at a bit of a dead end, and this job that I wanted wasn't materialising, uh, and it seemed like he'd led me into a, a kind of dead end, and I was so angry. He wasn't giving me um, a job at this church that I wanted to work in, and I reacted so strongly that I started to doubt his existence off the back of this. I drove home, and I, I went back to work. I had this cracking headache all afternoon, this serious tension headache. I went home. I drove, just stared at some water for a while before I went home. I was like... I don't know if God's real. <laughs> it was this full-on serious, which you might say is an overreaction, seriously. And um, I went home, I said to my Christian flatmate, I'm having a faith crisis. I don't know if God's real. This is really, like, I, now looking back at it, I think, what, what is it that caused me to react so, so strongly to something, something like that? And, and it sounds kind of funny, given especially a year later, there was an opening here, and I did start working here. Um, but what... I don't know if you've ever had a moment like that, where something's happened in your life that causes you to... turns you into a tailspin and causes you to totally question this faith that you've had. Even if it's been totally rock-solid up until that point, something happens that just flicks things for you. Something circumstantially. Or maybe it's happened to somebody um, in your life. These can be these trigger points. Maybe it's not getting a job... Maybe it's losing a job, losing a relationship, a diagnosis, having to sell your house when it's not your choice to have to sell your house. 
These can be trigger points that cause us to question this Jesus that we have been putting our trust in. And for me, there was this sense that I've, been, I've believed you, Jesus, to be provider and guide according to my own plans and desires. <laughs> and now that I seem to be at this dead end, I'm questioning what it is that I've come to believe about you. And in fact, I realised that the God I had believed in wasn't real because I'd made him up. <laughs> He's, that was the fake God that had let me down. And it made me ask, Jesus, if you're really there, who are you really? Are you still provider and guide, just in a more expansive way than I had previously believed? Is that making some sense? So if we can just hold my story here for a moment, I want to share with us another story from Scripture about one of Jesus' followers, Peter, uh, and an experience that he had where he was forced to reckon with um, who he had come to believe Jesus to be. There's this gap that is revealed between the Jesus that he had come to believe in and the Jesus who really was. And I think it has a lot to teach us when we face those moments. And I saw that, I, saw, I heard those little murmurs of recognition that you've either experienced a similar thing to me or you've seen it in others. I think this, this story can teach us a lot when we face those moments. If you've got your phone or your Bible, um, it's, or your, as in your Bible in your phone or your printed Bible, turn with me to Mark chapter 8. And I'm going to read from verses 27 to 32. I didn't do any slides, so it's not going to be on the screen. Um, you'll have to look on your own. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do people say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. Mark 8, 27 to 32, just in case you needed that again. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Messiah. That's who he had come to believe Jesus to be. He'd named him correctly, just as I had named Jesus correctly when I called him provider and guide. And Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. And now listen to this. This is uh, what happens that causes Peter to really have to reckon with that belief that he held about Jesus. He, Jesus then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, so that's the Jewish leadership, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. So Peter's feeling kind of rattled that there's this difference between, he says, you are the Messiah, and then Jesus explains what Messiah means to him, and Peter gets kind of rattled um, this news of what Messiah means to Jesus is not sitting too well with him. Just like me finding out the hard way that what provider and guide meant to Jesus was different than what, <laughs> what it meant to me. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. And get this, get behind me, Satan, he says. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Now, up until this point in Mark's retelling of the Jesus story, uh, Jesus has been performing so many miracles, it's not even funny. He's been revealing himself uh, to be God through, the, through all these miracles that he's been doing, but no one's named it yet. 
No one's named it. And then on this road trip heading south um, down to Jerusalem where Jesus um, is eventually going to give up his life and be killed, um, he, he kind of is like he's wondering if his disciples have got the picture yet that he's God. And, um, and so he kind of brings up the topic, I imagine, casually in the way that you can only when you're spending an extended amount of time with someone on a road trip. And he says, oh, so he kind of starts broad. Oh, so how do, who do people say that I am? And they say, oh, they say that, you know, you're um, John the Baptist. Some say Elijah. Some say one of the prophets. And Jesus is like, oh, yeah, okay. And then he kind of narrows down to what he actually wants to know. He says, oh, so who do you say I am? And for the first time in the story, Peter names it. You are the Messiah. He speaks out this glorious truth. You are the Messiah. It's important to understand what Peter's understanding of Messiah is here because that's where the gap is. Peter's a young Jewish man who's grown up with this belief that God's chosen one, the Messiah, would arrive as a political hero who was going to liberate God's people, the Jews, from their oppressors. And in this moment of history, they were oppressed by the Romans. And so they're expecting this Messiah to come onto the scene, burst on the scene in glory and power, and overthrow the Romans and liberate the Jews from their oppression. They're waiting for this saviour. And so that's what Peter means when he names Jesus as Messiah. Um, that's what he has come to believe throughout his life growing up Jewish. That's what his experience has taught him. And frankly, that's also what his interests lead him to see Jesus as. He's left everything to follow Jesus. He's left his family behind. He's given up everything of value. He's put it all on the line for this understanding of who Jesus is as Messiah. He's counting on this glorious, victorious hero. It suits him quite nicely for this to be what Messiah means. And so I don't know if you can imagine what he must be feeling and how rattled he must be when Jesus turns around and starts talking about the Messiah being killed, being rejected, suffering, and then rising again from the dead. It just doesn't fit in his grid of who Messiah is. He would stand to lose everything. All his eggs are in this Messiah basket. And just like I was rattled and I took Jesus to task just over there, um, when he didn't show up in the way that I thought he needed to show up in my life. Peter takes Jesus aside, probably quite forcefully, in the original Greek language that this was written in. It's kind of like he takes him by the collar, gets up right in his face and rebukes him, puts him tries to put himself in a position of authority over Jesus. He's so sure that he is right about what Messiah means. And, uh, and Jesus can take that. He can take it when we really take him to task about something. Um, but he reminds Peter in the strongest possible language, who is Lord here? But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan. <laughs> you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Ouch. Now, it sounds very intense, and it is, because Peter, um, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem where he was going to give up his life um, and die to save not only the Jews, but you and I. And Peter is literally physically standing in his way, blocking his path to the cross. And Jesus has already been tempted by Satan in the desert at the beginning of the book of Mark, and he's not going to let Satan be successful a second time, or successful now in his second attempt. So let's ask, what is it that's going on for Peter here? And it's the same thing that was going on for me in 2015 that causes him to get so unraveled when he realises that Jesus holds a much broader and very different understanding of Messiah 
than he does. Well, Jesus names it in verse 33, what was going on for Peter. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. You do not have in in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Why is it that Peter couldn't peacefully allow Jesus to define what it means for Jesus to be Messiah? Why is it that I couldn't peacefully allow Jesus just to be Jesus in his actions towards me? Because of our human concerns. You know, I really think that as human beings, we are so concerned with ourselves and our own lives to the point that we construct our own pictures of who God is and how he ought to operate in our lives. And when that is challenged, usually through circumstances, we freak out because we're being invited to relinquish the small pictures, usually oriented around our own benefit, relinquish the small pictures that we hold of who God is and instead to take hold of a much greater, much more expansive, ultimately much more liberating picture of who Jesus is, but one that we do not control. And so it feels scary and we freak out. The good news in that is that we don't hold that picture, we don't control it, but we are so held within it when we take hold of it, when we choose to allow Jesus to define who he is, when we choose to allow Jesus to be Jesus towards us, we don't have to do the holding, we can simply be held by the one who actually has the strength to define what that means, what it means for God to be God. Now, there is a huge amount of trust and surrender that is required to do that. To allow Jesus to define who he is. To let him be himself towards us. And it's a trust that requires believing that Jesus really is good and really is for us. It's a sign in the foyer that I saw. He is for you. He is for us. You. Something along those lines. (laughs) It's really true. He is for you. He is for us. And thankfully, scripture and our lives and his presence within us all give witness to just how good and loving he is, that he can be trusted. In fact, the whole reason that Jesus is a Messiah who suffers, just as he explains to Peter, is in order to make a way back home to God for all people. Not just for Peter, not just for Jesus' initial disciples, not just for the Jews, but for all people for you and I. And as Jesus suffered on the cross, which we've just remembered, well, we remember always, but particularly remembered at Easter last week, as he suffered on the cross, holding out an offer of love to us, to you and to me. He absorbs the shame and the sin that would otherwise keep us separated from God. And he makes a way back home for us. It's only a suffering Messiah who can make a way back home for us. Not the small picture of Jesus that Peter held, but this big and expansive picture that Jesus defines when we allow him to define who he is. 
it's really a good thing that his understanding of his identity is bigger and broader than ours is. We get to know God because of that. Do you follow? And so in these jarring moments, which are jarring, I don't want to gloss over these. These moments are, they're sensitive, they're often painful, they're often deeply emotional. Uh, They often mean something really significant in our lives. This is not, I'm not glossing over the top of it. This is really significant stuff that happens in our lives that often cause these jarring moments. But in them... In those moments where Jesus doesn't come through in the way that we think he should, if he is who he says he is, I wonder if we're being invited to expand our picture of who Jesus is. I wonder if there's something happening in your life at the moment where you're being invited to expand your picture of who Jesus is. I wonder if we can ask the question, when, when God seems not to have come through for us, who has disappointed me in this moment? Is it Jesus who's disappointed me? Or is it the picture I've constructed of Jesus that's let me down because it's not actually real? Is Jesus the one who's let me down? Jesus as he really is? Or has the picture I've built up of Jesus, is that what's let me down? That's what happened for me back in 2015. And so who do you believe Jesus to be this morning? Really, in your heart of hearts, who do you believe him to be? Is he simply the one who is there to give you whatever you want? Is he simply the one who validates your beliefs about cultural issues? Is he simply the one who performs miracles whenever you want them? Or could it be that Jesus this morning is inviting you into a greater and more glorious story centered on the truth of who he is, that he holds out constant love for you to welcome you home to him even when you're mad, when he doesn't show up like you might want him to? And that he invites you in to his great project of making this earth a little bit more like heaven. That's what you get to participate in when we choose to trade in our small pictures for this great picture of who he truly is. The great reality of who he truly is. And take hold of that. We're going to take communion in a minute, but before we do, I want to leave just a couple of minutes um, of silence, because that's a lot, isn't it? (laughs) And I know it is. And so I want to just be kind to all of us and just leave a couple of moments for reflection, just for you to sit with that question of what's my picture of Jesus? Who do I see him as? And ask him, Jesus, what are you, what's the invitation? What can you sense? Is there a little invite? Is he beckoning softly? Is there a little a little tug on your heart. What if I could be bigger? What if I could be greater? What if I could make sense of this thing? What if I was kind? What if I was good? What if I was loving? What if I was constant? I'm going to leave a couple of minutes for you to consider what's your picture and what might Jesus be inviting you to trade that for?
that you might live in this glorious, expansive reality that he has for you. And then I'll lead us into communion. Tim, it's okay to sit in the silence with him and just be. Jesus, we thank you for the way that you're moving among us this morning. Thank you for your love and your kindness, which calls us deeper into you, into freedom in you, into your love. Thank you that you have so much more in store for us than these small controlled pictures that we have of you which serve our own interests. And for those who want to, Jesus, we offer those pictures to you. And they mean so much to us. We have so much invested in them. But more than that, Jesus, we want you as you are. We want the freedom that comes through knowing you as you are. We want to be part of your great project in this world of making it more like heaven. And so we lay our small pictures aside, Jesus. We entrust them to you. And we choose to receive you as you are. Loving, glorious, mysterious, wonderful. And I pray, God, your freedom over my brothers and sisters here this morning. you might bring great freedom to their lives, to their thinking. This morning, Jesus, that there would be a great expanding of each individual's and this church's view of who you are. That this morning, Holy Spirit, you really would point us to Jesus in a great new, fresh way. That he is our glorious king who reigns, who held out suffering love on the cross for us to be restored to relationship with you. And we thank you so much. And Jesus. Well, thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to find out more about Northside, visit northsidechurch.org.au.